Welcome to the Crimson Circle Show, live here in cold, Cold Creek Canyon. Welcome, thank you for joining us. Whether you're listening from the crimsoncircle.com, the Awakening Zone, or Blog Talk Radio, we invite you and welcome you to be here with us. Whether you're here sitting in our beautiful, wonderful live audience, live audience. Or listening online, we love you, we feel you, and we thank you for joining us now. So, we're just about ready for Jeffrey Hoppy to bring in Adamus Saint-Germain for his next session. Lord only knows how interesting this might be. <laughs> so, are you ready? So, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Okay, so, to, in love and support of Jeffrey and Adamus, we're going to take a few, just a few moments and do a little conscious breathing. So I invite you, wherever you are, to be, be so comfortable, to really, truly feel your body, to truly sink into the chair, wherever you are, laying, sitting, reclining, to take the deep breath, the deep and conscious breath. This is the breath, not just from your head or your throat, the breath that totally fills your body, the breath that when you breathe it, it's so deep that you can feel the energies that are here to support you. Breathe and feel the soul of you, only waiting your, 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 your request for it to be here. So just breathe and feel the soul of you. Breathe, and as you breathe, feel your body. Choose life. Be here now, in this now moment, celebrating all that we are, all that we are. Breathe and receive. Breathe and welcome Adamus. Continue to breathe as the music plays. Breathe and receive. Breathe. Breathe. Breathe.
am that I am, Adamus of Sovereign Domain. Welcome, dear Chambra. Welcome to this holiday, this festive holiday season. Oh, my dear. Ah, uh, yes, a little color, a little style. Yes. Welcome, dear Chambra, to this gathering. The room is filled much more than it has been the last few months, not just with humans, but entities. You know, I don't often take guests at our gatherings. Uh, I'm asked once in a while, was asked today, as a matter of fact, it almost broke my heart when I was asked, where is Katumi? Oh, Kathumi will be here when it's time. But in the meantime, you've got me every step of the manure-filled way. Every step. <laughs> so, dear Shambhar, yes, indeed, the room is filled. We have some special guests with us today because of the holiday season, but also an interesting phenomenon. Worthy of an Adamus Award, the first, I hope, of many today, because Calder has no more money left, <laughs> so we hand out <laughs> cheesy awards, but valuable. Many guests, and it was interesting when the Master, David, or David the McMaster, <laughs> was doing his opening, his helping to set the energy, and he spoke a name that was heard in the other realms, Nelson Mandela. That, that the emotion, the, the feeling and the passion that was coming from David, the reaction from all of you, has actually attracted Nelson Mandela. Right here. I don't know how long he's going to stay. Very busy these days. But indeed, absolutely uh, an Adamus Award for oh, David. For David. Okay. For Not David. For David. For David. Indeed, you can imagine with all of the uh, um, outpouring of feelings all around the world, but from right here in the heart of Chamberville, the feeling goes out and he stops in. What's happening with humans? He says, I'm going to stop in, so I open the door myself personally. He'll be here for a little while. Interesting. What about? Nelson Mandela, is he Chambra? Never knew what Chambra was until right now. Come back here, back in the room. <laughs> Never knew. Uh, he's got a great sense of humor. A good leader has to have a sense of humor. Please write that down in your Adamus book of sayings. Has to have a good sense of humor. Oh, the world's such a back over here, challenging place right now for all of us, for all of you. You've got to have a sense of humor. You've got to be able to laugh at yourself and, yes, at others. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or with them, I should say. So what is it about Nelson Mandela that brought him to where he's at? You could almost imagine. Oh, feel into it for a moment before I give my answer. What caused him to have such passion, such drive, such clarity and humanity was adversity. Adversity. Don't you know? It was adversity that 
drove so deep into his heart and deep into his soul, making such commitments to himself, I will never again be a Dutch slaver. Never again be a slaver. Indeed he was, in a time past, in a lifetime past, cruel, brutal. No no regard. Make a note of that in the transcript. Something is buzzing, vibrating, and I'm not sure what it is. Are your pockets empty? <laughs> Somebody's vibrator is on. Please turn it off. It's <laughs> not so appropriate. You'll have plenty of time for that later, but not right now. <laughs> Larry, was that yours? <laughs> Larry, sense of humor. <laughs> So Nelson Mandela, yes, a brutal slaver. And as so many of you know from lifetimes past, from adversity in your own life, from suddenly waking up one day and saying, What did I do? What was I thinking? To be able to go from that, my dear friends, that awful feeling of knowing you had done something that would hurt another or yourself, that despicable feeling about yourself, that worthless feeling like you're just being ground to a pulp, or at one point you had felt like a mighty grand being, royalty, boss, the big guy, the big lady, power and everything else, and suddenly, suddenly coming face to face with your own soul, who doesn't see you quite that way. Your soul who says, what was that lifetime about? Suddenly falling into the abyss, seeing the ghosts of yourself and of your past, and then what? Then what? To raise you up from those depths and that darkness, then what? Forgiveness of yourself. Forgiveness of yourself. Taking a deep breath and releasing all of that guilt, all of that shame, not an easy thing to do. Saying, not, not just saying in your head, but saying, I release myself. These were experiences in a lower consciousness, in a less awareness time. These were part of my experiences and everyone else's. This is not a justification. It's absolute forgiveness. It's not trying to make amends in your mind. It's, it's not trying to sugarcoat a situation. It's saying, I, dear God, self-forgive myself and all others. And indeed, did not Nelson Mandela, even with all of his rage and anger for his incarceration and the torture that he endured, did he not then forgive those very ones who imprisoned him who held him back because he realized that in so many ways they were serving him. They were serving his guilt for what he had done. They were serving his coming to a greater awareness of the I Am within himself and everyone else. And in that forgiveness of others, he was truly released. He had such depth and such understanding and clarity at that point 
he could then be a leader. Not a leader who tried to acquire power, make new rules, inflict himself on others, but a leader to say one thing to all people, you are free also. You are free. He didn't seek the limelight. He wasn't interested in money. He had his human, what you would call flaws, idiosyncrasies, of course. As long as you live on this planet, you're going to have those idiosyncrasies. But more than anything, he understood the freedom of himself and passed that along to others. What's he going to do from here? Cross over, go into his third circle? Probably not. Probably not too much work to do at this all-important time in this planet. Too many people that need to hear the words that you are free. Too many people that need to get out of their own victimness. It's not necessarily the abuser that he's going to try to work with, because abuser, in a way, is just responding to the victim. He learned that. It's the ones who are victims, the, one who say, the ones who say, I can't do this because, because of my color, because of my, my upbringing, because of my handicap or disability, because that's just victim energy. Once you realize that, once you release that, you are indeed free. There's nothing, dear Edith, my love, <laughs> nothing that can hold you back other than being in that sandbox of victimness, victimhood. So, dear Nelson Mandela, not going to go after the world leaders, not going to go after the abusers, the dictators, those who abuse power and energy. He's going to go straight for the ones who are playing the role of victim. Because once they say, no more, there can be no more abusers. There can be no more enslavers. Once humans say, no more, that sets them free and takes away the illusion of power that any of these type of imbalanced leaders might have. I'll take a deep breath with that, Chambra. Here we are with Nelson Mandela. Thanks to David and all of you for calling in this dear soul on this day. Here we are in the classroom of the new spiritual energy. What's the difference between religion and spirituality? <laughs> Interesting question. Interesting question. Ah, religion. Religion is generally for uh, by the way, I'm going to offend some people with my camera. I'm, I'm going to offend some people today, and I already know that because I offend them every day. <laughs> I'm going to say some things today intentionally designed to stay on that camera. Aggravate you. Aggravate you. To get you out of your complacency. To get you deep inside yourself. Uh, don't turn off the internet. 
Stay with us through the end. There's always a surprise in this box of Cracker Jacks. <laughs> What's the difference between religion and spirituality? Religion uh, filled with a lot of victims, filled with people who don't want to think for themselves, filled with people who are playing a power game, both sides of it, the, um, the members and the leaders. What's the difference between then spirituality and Chambra? <laughs> Night and day. Oh, good, good. You, so you pissed them off, not me. <laughs> What's the main difference between what you're doing, but why you're here on this planet right now, versus the spiritual crowd? Speak up. Accountability. Good, good. That's a good one. Just be. That's good. Being a standard. Good, good answer. It's great. Pissing people off. Where you go, mofo? Yes. Uh, biggest difference, I would say, is in spirit. There was a lot of people involved in spirituality. They they leave religion at a certain point because they realize there's a lot of restrictions. Uh, they they realize that they want to do some thinking on their own. Uh, nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with religion. It serves a purpose up to a point. Spirituality. People get involved in spirituality. Some wonderful, wonderful things, because it, it kind of s sets you free partially to begin exploring. The New Age movement, for instance, there's not a central office. There's not a hierarchy. It's pretty loose, really loose. But in spirituality, it's a lot of, it's a lot of searching and seeking. It's a lot of uh, putting your toes in the water to test the temperature. And it can lead to a lot of macchio. Not that it always does, but it can lead to that. Because you can forget about the, um, the true desires, the knowingness that I talked about last month. You can forget about that and get all caught up in, let's say, an essential oil. And you spend years and years going through all the essential oils. The only essential oil that's really worth a damn is your own sweat. <laughs> you can quote me on that. <laughs> and nothing that it's not that there's anything wrong with essential oils, but there is a tendency to put them in front of you to say, say, this essential oil is going to bring back some memories. This essential oil is going to trigger this or trigger that. It's the same with um taking uh, natural supplements, herbs, and, and nothing wrong with that. But you can get over-herbicided. You can get <laughs> – made that up. You can, you, can, you can start to put the power in the herbs. Now, herbs have a, have a wonderful way of resonating with the body. And the body, having come from a long, long time ago, uh, back to the whales and the dolphins and everything else. Speaking of which, uh, isn't it amazing that scientists are beginning to understand the true correlation between dolphins and humans? Um, Ooh. <laughs> well, who would have thought you were a fish? <laughs> Hi, Seas. Hello. <laughs> uh, so, but a uh, lot of lot of these um, 
herbal remedies uh, actually wake up, remind something deep within the body of lifetimes, tens or hundreds of thousands of years ago, when that's all there was. There weren't chemicals, there weren't medicines like you know them now. So you take a certain herbal remedy, and it reminds you of things from many, many, many lifetimes ago. It, It triggers a memory. That's wonderful, up to a point. Things were different back then than they are now. The herbal remedy was particularly good for you back then, but it may not do the same thing for you now. Again, they're wonderful, but easy to get caught up in certain rituals of the spiritual group of the New Age, certain um, books, classes, or anything else can lead to a lot of makyo. Generally, those on the spiritual path are still searching. They haven't made that commitment. Not in all cases. Please don't send emails to Caldra. He's telling me to say that. But there's a marked difference between if I was standing here with you versus standing here with a crowd of just spiritual New Age types. A tremendous difference. You, my dear friends, have made a commitment. And it's about enlightenment. It's not about it's in, in spirituality, so much of it is about trying to make the human life a little bit more comfortable. A little bit more comfortable, or sometimes even just justifying some of the harsh things about life. But you've made a commitment that goes back to that knowingness that we talked about, saying you something that you felt deep within you. Wasn't anything that was practiced. Wasn't anything that you even prepared for. It happened first, probably because of some sort of uh, adversity, probably because of even just getting tired of just going through the birth-death, birth-death cycle. Something inside you triggered that knowingness. As I said in our last gathering, that's the thing then that brought the books, that brought the classes, that brought you eventually right here to these seats. It's enlightenment and the commitment to it. And as you probably know, it is harder than the spiritual path, much harder. Spiritual path, I would say, is often designed around making life a little bit more comfortable. Chambra path is basically redefining life entirely with your body, with your mind, with your spirit, the relationship of you with yourself. Oftentimes it involves absolutely smashing and shattering any concepts that you had about life, about yourself, about comfort, about happiness. Eventually you realize those words really have very little or no meaning. As a matter of fact, in enlightenment, so many of those words just go away. It has nothing to do with happiness. You don't, you don't actually find Ascended Masters walking around – we're in trouble now, Paul – walking around <laughs> any time I get out that podium, it's going to be a long one. The easel is dangerous, too. The easel, very dangerous, yes. I won't tip this over until I get some coffee. But the – Did you want some coffee? Ah, yes. Uh, cream, no sugar. A uh, little Saint-Germain – no. Uh, <laughs> the spiritual path, the, the Chambre path, 
literally redefines life. It's not about comfort, as you found out. You tried it. You tried getting that, please. <clears throat> you tried getting that little bit more, that little bit more comfortable life, and it didn't work. Oh, relationships, they were just ground to a pulp. Your, your <laughs> thoughts, your everything. Interesting. Uh, difficult. Difficult. But you let it happen. I, I have to honor, commend, and acknowledge each and every one of you that's still here, <laughs> because it's not easy. You're doing it so very quickly, sometimes a little scary. It's like driving downhill at a fast speed on this Highway 72 on ice. <laughs> Up in the Ascended Masters Club, we're like, oh, geez. But it's about transcending everything that you thought about yourself and about life. Amazing. Simply amazing. It's said by some that perhaps I'm a little tough, a <laughs> little obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, dear friends, I know how important it, this is for you in this lifetime, not next lifetime. Ah, just the thought about it when somebody says, well, in your next lifetime, after you go through your next birth process, oh, no, 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 you want it now. So we're going to push. We're going to push and have fun doing it. Good. Thank you, my dear. So uh, let's, uh, let's have some fun. Yes. Uh, what, the point I'm trying to make is that you are different. <laughs> what do you mean? You know exactly what I mean. <laughs> you are different. Uh, you're different than even your lifetimes when you've been spiritual. Definitely very different than your lifetimes uh, when you've been religious. There's a big difference. Uh, we'll actually feel into that in just a little bit. You're very different. And it takes a lot of grit, a lot of um, – determination is not the right word. I'll come back to it later. I'll tell you exactly what it takes to be in these seats, to be coming in on the internet to saying it's about enlightenment. The funny thing is, I've said before, when we've been at workshops and I say, what is enlightenment? I are the biggest bunch of machio answers possible. I would lead one to believe that here you are, totally focusing your life on enlightenment and have no idea what it is. Absolutely no idea what it is. That's true. And that's a good thing. You know what it is. You don't have to even define it. You already know. And sometimes it gets covered up. You forget about it. You have one of those bad enlightenment days, and you wonder what you're doing, but you go back to that knowingness. Oh, sometimes it's two, three in the morning. You wake up frightened, confused, baffled, but yet that knowingness is there. It's not a thing of will. It's not a thing of strength. It's a thing of just that knowingness. Beautiful. Let's play a game today. Let's play the Jesus game. <laughs> oh. It's Christmas. Oh. 
It's Christmas. <laughs> Don't you know? Let's dismiss. Uh, Hey, we got all that reaction. I say that, and then these people watching in online, of course, not you, but the people watching it, the Jesus game? Whoa, how terrible that they're going to play that. Oh, no, the Jesus game is fun. You're going to see in just a minute. Uh, we can also. Would you write that on the next sheet of paper? What? The Jesus game starring Yeshua Ben Joseph as Jesus Christ, the Savior. <laughs> Guess we don't need that. The Jesus game. You won't write it, Billy? Oh my god. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna run the microphone anyway, so dear Billy. Hey, can we be a little sacrilegious? Sure, why not? Because it's all a big story. And you're gonna see in just a minute. Wasn't true at all. It's kinda sensitive. To who? To me. <laughs> <coughs> The Jesus came, uh, and then in parentheses underneath, the Yeshua composite. Oh. Yeshua. Ah, oh, you see, big. See how it changes it. The Yeshua composite. Now, uh, we're in, we're in the holiday season. By the way, it's another one of our guests today, Jesus Christ, right here in Cold Creek Canyon. I'm, I'm Marvelous. Serious. Yeshua. It's actually. Uh, let's call it more specifically. It's an energy from the house of Sananda. That's here, Sananda, uh, also known as Isa. That's right here. And why not? You're going to see in a minute. How did I miss that? So, okay. So here we are in the holiday season. Today's guests, Jesus and our dear friend Nelson Mandela. Absolutely. What a great combination. We're in this time of um, the Christmas season, and there's so much. There's so much talk about Jesus. Actually, what I do and I've always liked about the Christmas season, that's the one time of the year where they take Jesus off the cross and they put him in a little basket. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo. That's nice. Uh, much better than on the cross. The rest of the year, like that. This time of the year, looking up at his virgin mother and going, This is strange, Mom. <laughs> So I'm going to ask you, because so many of you walked with Yeshua. Yeshua is the real name of the one they call Jesus. Uh, th by the way, I have to um, stop and point this out. There's a Yeshua, the, the, the Yeshua that you know, was around 2,000 years ago, and then there's Jesus. And mostly we have Yeshua here, not so much Jesus. Jesus is, was, uh, is only, oh gosh, probably really about maybe 800, 900 years old. A lot, lot younger than Yeshua. Jesus is a composite, just like Yeshua. You're going to see the difference, though, because Jesus is a composite made up from the religions. The religions. They created Jesus, and so many people believe in it that it actually then happens. Just like you created an entity, a composite entity known as Chambra. Chambra's hanging around, drives a nice car, hangs out, has a few drinks now and then. It's very cool. So there's this Jesus composite as well. 
And Jesus, the Savior, Jesus who's waiting, God knows for what, well, yeah, God knows for what, to <laughs> save everybody, the second coming, which, by the way, never comes. And the, there's this Jesus who, real handsome, white-looking guy, <laughs> always wears robes, blue eyes, yeah, Israel, blue eyes, mm, I don't know. There's this Jesus, and, and, people, and he loves people who worship him. He loves people that say, what would Jesus do? And he just sits there and smiles, you know, <laughs> that never gives him answers. He just smiles. This Jesus, which is a composite consciousness made up of a lot of humans that believe in him, uh, Jesus, uh, he spends a lot of time walking on water, because <laughs> that's what they believe. So he just, every morning he gets up and walks on water. Goes to the refrigerator up in the other realms, opens it up, and says, Ah, gosh, nothing to eat today. Oh, fish and loaves. <laughs> Another day of fish and loaves. Goes to a lot of parties. The, wa the wa water into wine. It is absolutely real. I, I mean, I'm not making this up. You can go to the other realms on the other side and find Jesus. Find Jesus. Oh, just listen for all the people. Oh, Jesus! Uh, <laughs> asking for forgiveness for their sins. Jesus is like, I don't know what to do. You're calling out to me. You're asking me for forgiveness. I forgave you a long time ago. I actually don't even know what you did. And you're asking for forgiveness. Forgive yourself, but they don't hear. And there's that Jesus wandering around on the other realms. <laughs> oh, dear Chambre, I'm so glad you're having fun. There's some that are online that are no longer online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple left the room, too. Some Yay, that are just – I say, how could he be so sacrilegious, blasphemous? Because it's just made up. Because then there's the real Yeshua, who was flesh and bone, the Yeshua that some of you actually walked with. I mean, walked with, touched, chatted with, told some bad jokes with, hung around with. Some of you were here at the same time. Maybe you never encountered this Yeshua, but you were always kind of walking with him in the other realms. There was this kind of whole agreement to come back together at this time. Now, there's a lot of stories about Yeshua, but I truly believe, I trust that you know Yeshua, right? you know the real story. So we're going to play a little game. First, I ask you to feel into the Yeshua. Get out of your brain about all the stuff you heard. This is going to come spontaneous. I, I want, you, want you to feel how you really know Yeshua. Don't let your head block you here. Go to the heart. You know Yeshua. Why? Because Yeshua is a composite made out of you and me and a bunch of others. Yeshua was the biggest composite ever. In other words, more soul beings gathered together and said, let's create this composite. Not a soul being, by the way, for those of you who are still online with us who uh, are relatively new. Yes, Yeshua, Jesus, wasn't a soul being. It was a composite of all of you. It was about bringing the divine seed to this planet 2,000 years ago. 
So let's, uh, Linda, with the microphone, please. Let's have a little discussion about Yeshua. Let's start out with, uh, hand the phone, Dan, uh, microphone to anybody. To anybody. Before Annie. they know what the question is? Absolutely. It's best that way. <laughs> good, good, good. So would you tell me, um, what religion was Yeshua? Catholic? <laughs> the mind answer or the... You have to hold the mic. Go ahead, hold the mic and please stand up. Great outfit. A great outfit. I don't know. Um, oh, oh. Oh. Microphone. Outside. Oh. Three, three minutes. Yeah. Go ahead. What religion was Yeshua, Jesus? Uh, That's all right. Just <laughs> Jewish. Jewish. Kinda. Kinda. Yeah. A scene. A scene. Yeshua was born and raised on a scene. And in it you'll find a lot of the clues to his life. First of all, his mother wasn't a virgin. You probably figured that one out. It's going to be a long afternoon. <laughs> long afternoon. However, the, um, the Essenes, um, I'm taking uh, one of each color, just so, so I'm not biased to green or red. Um, we hold these for, I got a call. Oh! I have to speak. I don't want to speak with my mouth full. <laughs> hey, there's some metal. You want to stick your tongue to it? <laughs> <laughs> His parents weren't married. Because the Essenes didn't necessarily believe in marriage. If you were a good Essene, a better Essene, you actually never got married. And I'll show you in a minute why that presented a lot of conflict for dear Yeshua. So the parents weren't married, but suddenly Mary finds herself pregnant. Oh, of course she had had intimacy with Joseph. Now, in the Essene practice, the Essenes were like um, very strict, fundamentalist uh, Jews at the time. Very strict. So suddenly Mary finds herself pregnant. What to do? What to do? Ah, well, not get married, of course, but to deliver the child and live in a little bit of embarrassment. Not that it was for totally forbidden, but if you wanted to be a better Essene, you didn't fornicate uh, at all. No, no, no. Bummer. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and yeah. So Jesus grew up, Yeshua grew up a bastard. Um, didn't really have a what? father. What? Oh. Bastard is, is only a bad word in really the last hundred or so years. He used to be. Many people referred to as bastard. Bastard simply meant not having a, a, a father by marriage to the mother. That's all it meant. It would be like saying, uh, uh, yeah, I'm a lollipop. You know, it didn't mean anything. Now there's a spin on it, bastard. But Jesus was a bastard. Oh! <laughs> I want you to feel... My a, lot pain. Of, a lot of the layers, the old layers that you have. I, I, and oh. then I want you to feel back into how you 
help to create your composite. This little bastard. <laughs> oh! <laughs> it's your spin on. on <laughs> <laughs> oh, I amused myself today. <laughs> okay, microphone now to Linda to somebody else. Microphone to the next. Did somebody just run out the door? <laughs> Great. Next. Yeah, to add it to anybody. Yes. Hello, dear. Hello. So, what did Jesus do for a living? He's a carpenter. He was a carpenter. Mm -hmm. Really? Uh, uh, hang on a second. Uh, take the microphone back to Linda. Take a deep breath. Feel for a moment. You personally knew Yeshua. Did you ever see him out there with a lathe and with sandpaper and a saw and, and a, all the rest of that? No, but someone else said that about the bastard. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> it's going nowhere fast. <laughs> please note and please remember go back into your helping to build this composite into your memories. Take a moment, just let's uh, uh, just feel back. Yeshua, Yeshua, not Bible Jesus, but Yeshua, your composite. Yeshua is not a carpenter at, at all. Yeshua wouldn't know how to rub two sticks of wood together. First of all, there wasn't much wood in Israel at the time. Secondly, he lived in a commune, an Essene commune. The Essenes were very communal, extremely. About the only work they really did was growing food so they could live. They were not merchants. They were not bankers. They were not tradespeople at all. They lived in communities of anywhere from a low of 100 to maybe 500 at a time. They were considered outsiders by the rest of the Jewish community. They were considered kind of the weirdos. Oh, <laughs> here we are again. Yeshua trained to be they, – they actually didn't use the word priest back then. Uh, and. Uh, Yeshua was training to be a teacher of the Yahad. A Yahad is the community school. They didn't call themselves rabbis. They didn't give themselves lofty titles like bishop or pope. They were simply – the best possible interpretation would be maybe elder, but even that was not a word that was used, because they never wanted to put themselves above others. So let's just call it a teacher. Hmm. Lot of lot of interesting correlations. A teacher. He didn't work with wood. He didn't he didn't make chairs and tables and things like that. He studied a lot. He studied old scriptures. He studied the rules because the Essenes had a lot of rules. He didn't know how to use his hands. He wasn't a big muscular guy. And he didn't, he didn't have a trade whatsoever. Interesting. Interesting. So where did this come up with that Jesus was a carpenter? Well, it came up probably about five – I'll take the M&M now. Oh. 
Look at your hands. <laughs> oh, how about the camera over here? Look at. Oh, is that sweat? Or was that my spit? No, oh, my spit. Okay. So where did this come that he was a carpenter? Well, when they were putting the story together of Jesus, I said, well, you know, we have to give him a trade, you know, uh, because there were a lot of trades back then. There were the the brick layers, the the stone trade. There was the fishing trade. And there was the carpenters, and they all had a lot of influence on the church at the time. So where do you think a little money came from by saying that Jesus was a carpenter? Uh, the Carpenters Guild at the time. Absolutely. Oh, Yeshua was a carpenter. Sure, here's some more money. Actually, probably the way it happened in that church meeting – no, thank you – in that church meeting, the, the, the churchy leaders were sitting around trying to figure out this profession. They had to name something. Of course, nobody knew, because this was hundreds and hundreds of years after. There was no internet to record any of this. It was all handed down. So they were trying to figure out what his profession was, and one of the bishops said, what would Jesus do? And the other bishop said, he was a carpenter. Yes, yes. <laughs> Next uh, microphone, please. Microphone to somebody, anybody. Next question. Ah, dear Michelle, was Jesus married? Yes. Yes. Good. To whom? Hold that microphone right up to your mouth. Mary? No, I said, was he married? Yes, he was. To Mary? Married to Mary? Yes. Yes and no. Yes, he was married, but no, never to Mary Magdalene. Ah, ah, ah. Now, that creates a big problem. Here you have Yeshua studying to uh, be like a teacher in the Yahat, in the school, the community school. That was, that was his one focus, to, to teach and to help. He didn't care about anything outside of his community. I guess now they, they might call it a kibbutz, but it was a little bit different back then. He didn't care about the outside world, didn't care about, about anything. But being a mortal, kind of, uh, at least having flesh and bones that would eventually die, he had certain urges. <coughs> Vince, Vince, right away, you're like, I, I understand that. <laughs> He had certain urges, and within the community was a beautiful young girl by the name of Ignas, like, like Agnes, but Ignas, beautiful young girl. And one night, sitting under the stars with – oh, you know the story. Now, what's with your family here? You know <laughs> – they embraced their masculine feminine energies. Uh, together. <laughs> well, but wasn't that delicate? Wasn't that delicate? They engaged in intimacy of the body. Now, the good Essenes were not supposed to do this. The good Essenes did not eat meat whatsoever. And it wasn't like the Essenes were forbidden, but the really good ones were vegetarians. 
And here we find now that Yeshua, trying so hard to, to be this eventual teacher, his one dream, one ambition is to be a teacher in the Yahad, in the community, and suddenly fornicating mm. and caught. Yeah, ah. So what happens next? <laughs> kind of shotgun wedding. See, you, you're starting to get it. What happens next? Well, it was discovered, and her parents weren't all too happy about this. And immediately said, you must get married. This was a huge change in Yeshua's plans. But the thing is, he loved Ignis. He loved her deeply and dearly. Either that or it was tremendous lust. So indeed they got married. And indeed he had to start rethinking his role with the Essenes, because he's no longer that standard, the, 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 the one who didn't fornicate, the one who didn't get married. Now he was just kind of an Essene commoner. To make matters worse, oh, he felt so deeply in love with her, so deeply in love, and she became with child. And he started to allow himself to feel some of the passions that a human would feel, rather than all this negating of passions that so many religions and spiritual groups do. He started to feel the passion of loving another human, and eventually slowly loving himself. What happened next? Tragedy. Ignaz, with child, died. Died. The love of his life died. And he felt with all he had learned in his studying that he should have been able to heal her. He was angry because he felt some of the others in their community should have been able to heal. He felt that God had forsaken him. It caused another great crash in his life. Now he had lost not only his position in the community because of fornication, but now he had lost his love. His love. What happened next? Here he is, a very young man, barely 17 years old, and suddenly everything is turned. My dear friends, let's pause for a moment here before we go on to the next part, but can you feel it? Can you feel yourself in Yeshua? Can you feel the twists and turns in your own life? What maybe you thought were mistakes, what maybe Yeshua thought was a mistake at the time, which turned out to be perfect. Perfect. So here we have a 17-year-old man, angry with God, heartbroken, no longer a pillar in the community, no longer the one they thought was going to lead them into more rules and regulations. So he leaves in the middle of the night. Where did he go? Where did Yeshua go? Dear Linda, microphone, please. Please feel into this. You already know it. To the big city. To the big city, sure. Get off the farm and go to the big city. Yes, in a way you're right. Absolutely. And other places. But just give it a shot. Where did he go? What specifically? Well, he was heartbroken. Imagine yourself for a moment. You're heartbroken. 
the uh, desert. Life has dealt you all of these bad blows. Where are you going to go? The desert. The desert. The desert. Absolutely. Began. You're absolutely right. Began wandering in the wow, desert. Somebody's right. Mm. Began wandering in the desert. The the Essenes were very familiar with Moses. The Essenes uh, very also yes, very familiar with Moses. But they also had a different set of commandments, uh, under, understandings from Moses, been so distorted and rewritten over the years. The Ten Commandments are actually about 10,000 changes in the commandments since they were given. So he begins wandering in the desert, and back to Mark. Where does he end up, Mark? Where would you end up if you began wandering in the desert? <laughs> Las Vegas. That's Gambling good. That's in Las good. Vegas, and that's right? what makes Chambra special. Yes. Las Vegas. Good. Uh, at a at a water at a oasis. Okay, that was the first it. night. Uh, after <laughs> that, we got between 17 and 33 years old. Where? Just feel into it, please. Close your eyes for a second. Feel into it. Where did he end up uh, as the first uh, major part of his journey? No, don't, just give me any answer. Lie, if, but don't say I don't. Lie. Say, say, I don't, the I, I didn't say I, 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 <laughs> India. Uh, India. More specifically, in the area known as Kashmir. Ah, okay. Kutumi's backyard. Yeah, they didn't know each other. Uh, he ended up. Thank you. He ended up searching for answers. Yes, wandering through the desert. Doesn't even remember how he got to India. How he got to this land. He was so destitute, so depressed, he ended up there. And there, in wandering around India, he met some incredible teachers who literally shook down his world from everything he had learned as an Essene, everything he had learned about history and God. It was a big shake-up, because he learned that God wasn't some guy up there. He learned that God wasn't an angry being who asked uh, humans to worship, he learned that God was already within, that God was, had it come to be uh, what you now know as love and acceptance and compassion. It was hard for him, very hard for him to understand that, particularly with the bitterness of everything he had gone through. He was searching for answers. He was desperate, aching so much in his heart. But what was really happening, my friends, is that in his search, uh, theoretically thinking that he was searching for oh, some, some relief just from the anxiety of losing his community and his wife, he was on a bigger journey. His real journey was about himself. Your real journey back then was about yourself. It wasn't about finding some philosophical answers. It wasn't uh, finding your, yourself even just in a mystery school or a monastery, although you ended up going there. But the original journey of your own divine seed was eventually about coming to you. The story of Yeshua is your story. Some of you have gone through it a couple of times. Some of you have gone through it many, many times. But it was your story of life, of learning, 
sometimes of heartbreak, and ultimately of discovery. Yeshua traveled throughout uh, these areas known as India, met with some amazing masters, learned how to breathe. How to breathe. That simple. But yet, that elusive when he was in a scene because it was so filled with rules and regulations, things you should or shouldn't do. Learned. Oh, next question um, to uh, Linda. Hand the microphone to anybody. This is my favorite question. Oh, two questions. Well, all in the same question. Good. Did Yeshua? Did Yeshua uh, have sex with others after after he left his community, after he left the Yahad? Did he like just go lie with women, or men, or goats, or sheep? You have to ask that. But two thousand years ago, you had to ask. You had to ask. Did Yeshua? Where are the cameras? Make sure cameras right on her face here, so all the world can see this answer. Did Yeshua have sex? There is a quality to sex. Uh, it was a yes or no. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. That clears the pipes to ultimately find the divine within. And yes, he did. Oh, he did have sex. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, often? As often as possible. <laughs> okay. Did he prefer tall ones or short ones? Tall ones or short ones, what? <laughs> Good question. Good question. So, uh, yes, Yeshua had sex often. Did Yeshua masturbate? Yes. Yes. Would you say that to the, to the say it to the camera? Yes. Good. Thank you. We're breaking through so much old crap here today. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Did he feel guilty about it? Have you ever felt guilty about it? When I, when I first started, yes. And then it wore off, and now I don't. Linda's back there freaking out. Why? I think this is my favorite shout. <laughs> I've been through SES. Yes, absolutely. He did, and he did, and he did. Yes. He had sex, he masturbated, and he felt guilty. Well, like, it's color. Don't say that so fast. Screw guilt. He had sex, he masturbated. Jesus masturbates. (laughs) (laughs) Screw guilt. And he felt guilty about it until he realized the love of self, the acceptance of self, until he realized somebody else placed this crap on him that sex and playing with yourself under the table are bad. It took him a long time to get over it and realize that he could love himself. He could touch himself. He could feel himself. He could pleasure himself. He could really love himself, absolutely. And he would go on my dear, to teach this to many, many others. And when he sat in front of some of the groups, 
the reaction very similar. Oh, oh, you can't talk about this. But he did, because he said, Dear brother, dear sister, it's about loving thyself. Then you will come to understand the love that your soul has for you. Yes. True. True. I'm my best date. You're your best date. Absolutely. You should be. And then you could be the best date to anyone else. Good. Why uh, next on the microphone? Oh, this is a good game today. Ah, uh, Mrs. Having fun. Uh, so why did Yeshua go back to Israel? Let me say first that after India, he traveled throughout parts of Europe, France, of course. Stayed there a long time. Uh, he went to parts of uh, what are now known as Germany and England. Of course, the names have changed. Spain, Portugal. He traveled. He traveled to learn more, experience more, and meet others outside of his own little community where he'd grown up. But he went to experience all there was to learn and know. He went and visited the pyramids. Yes, absolutely. Went to Egypt. Spent a lot of time there. Why did he go back to Israel? And please don't say to get his woodworking tools. <laughs> yeah. Everyone mind standing up. He forgot his plane. Forgot his plane. Good. Good. No, he went back to teach. He went back to teach. Why? Because he had good information to share with his fellow man. And good, women. but why go back there? It was hot was and home. dusty, and um, yeah, it was home. It was home, yeah. And he enjoyed home. Mm -hmm. he went back to see his family mm -hmm. and friends. Yeah, they weren't so interested in seeing him. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> not so much. <coughs> no, the ones who had been in his community. No, actually, who is this guy? Didn't want to see him at all. Sound familiar? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So yes, there was a desire to go back home. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the good answer. Desire to go back home, part of, the, part of his journey to collect himself. Have you had it where you've traveled to places you've had an irresistible urge to go to Egypt or to go to uh, South America or back to Europe? A tremendous desire to go back into your past, to see yourself now through different eyes. That's the biggest reason, not so much to teach. But to see yourself from years ago or lifetimes ago, to see how you've changed. That's exactly what he did. And he went back a very different man. Indeed, he went back to also do some what you call teaching, sharing with others. But he wasn't met with big open arms. He went back up to the area. Uh, around Magdal, which is uh, in the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And he was met with a lot of ridicule, but there were a few who listened. There were a few who felt an underlying dissatisfaction with the, uh, the rabbis and the temple and the religious organizations at the time. There's a few that heard the word. I am God also, when he stood in front of them and said, I am God also. The majority laughed at him, shunned him, threatened him, but a few heard it, and they stayed. Some of them became his disciples. 
And then more and more began to hear the word because there were a lot of you who would come back at that time. You didn't consider him a savior, considered him a friend. You didn't consider him to be some type of spiritual leader at all because you knew he would never accept that role, never accept the role of uh, leading a large group of people. So, my dear friends, he went back to collect himself, to remember himself, but now in a new way. And in doing so, met a lot of you once again. You weren't, you weren't in awe of him, because it was also you. Curious, yes. Fascinated, yes. You didn't know many people who had traveled to so many lands. He felt a presence about him. He didn't know what it was. He didn't talk words like enlightenment. He, he, didn't, he didn't talk even of the mysteries. He didn't perform any miracles uh, to just fascinate people. But you felt his resonance. Now, leads us to a very interesting, very pertinent question. So here he was now with some friends that he would share time with. He met Mary Magdalene. <coughs> they fell in love. Oh, such deep love. Shared a lot of intimate moments. See, Yeshua had learned a lot about this thing called, now called Tantra in his journeys, and he knew how to share his body and his mind and his love in a way that very few humans have ever learned since. Oh, because there's so much chittering when you talk about sex, so much embarrassment. But he knew how to love himself, and therefore how to love another. He met Mary Magdalene, who was a mess at the time. Ah, she, was, she had her demons. She, uh, the story is contained in some of our other work, but she was a mess, and he showed her how to love herself. It took a long time. Uh, she had a lot of victim energy. She um, had a lot of um, fear of men, the masculine energy, ultimately really of the masculine energy within herself that was manifested in her abusers. But she finally came to terms with the masculine, the feminine, and the divine within herself. And together they lived in love, never married, didn't want to marry. It had been such a horrific memory for Yeshua, he never wanted to repeat that. But yet they also knew they didn't need somebody else to marry them or attest to their love. It was strictly between them. question is, did Yeshua and Mary Magdalene have children? That's a big question. Everybody asks it. They write books about it. I contend that they did, but it was after Yeshua departed the physical body. Hmm. Hmm. Figure that one out. Now that should give you a little bit of a clue into yourself. They did not choose to have children while he still walked the earth. And he knew it would end. 
Uh, and he shared that with Mary Magdalene. He said, I'm here for uh, a certain amount of time. I'm leaving, but only leaving the physical. I'm still going to be here, and I'll show you. I'll show you what the soul, what the divine, in love with itself, can do, even after I leave. So it was a relationship of the physical and the spirit that occurred after Yeshua's death, that actually impregnated Mary, who had two children, by Yeshua. Ah, yes. Interesting, fascinating story. But my friends, at Christmas time, the holidays, it's your story. A story here about how life continues even when there's supposedly death. Question, big question. Linda, hand the microphone first, because this is the, the big question. Question is, Ed, can the camera see back there? Sure. <laughs> good. Question is, oh, good. Question is, did Jesus fail? Did Jesus fail? No. Uh, before you, oh, no, no is your answer. He did not fail. No. But there's those that argue that Jesus, this master, this divine being, failed because he allowed himself to be put to death. He failed because he could have or should have been able to overcome this, or be able to overcome his enemies or those that sought to kill him. He failed because he died instead of lived. He failed because of the blood and the suffering and the pain that a true Savior would not have died. A true Savior would have perhaps lived in a mansion, had all sorts of guards, and would have never allowed himself to die like that. There are those who say that, look at the difference between Muhammad and Jesus. Jesus failed. Muhammad just descended. He didn't have to go through all that. Uh, Jesus could not come to terms with the energies that Jesus uh, perhaps was some type of false martyr. There are those who say that, and there are some who believe it? The failure of Jesus. Jesus, who comes to this earth, whether you think in terms of Jesus or Yeshua, that comes here to show us the way and ends up nailed on a cross, which, by the way, did happen. For those who don't think it did, no, he nailed on a cross. So, Susie, you say, no, he didn't fail, but explain why. Well, he was a man, and. Well, that's a failure. <laughs> <laughs> He was a man, and, and? And I grew up very Baptist, so I know that he died for our sins. Do you still know that? No. Oh, good. I, I, I'm not going to Baptist heaven, so. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm going to my own place. <laughs> uh, well, he realized, I think, that we are all God also, and yes. so he just helped us get there a little But why faster. the death? It, to me, that sends... What well, could be a bad signal for somebody on the path? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little sensitive today, but wow. Look what you get when you become a master. <laughs> so if it's, how is that not failure? Because he rose again. 
in three days, and he ascended then. I mean, he didn't, death didn't conquer him. Conquer the body, though. The body, yeah. Yeah. And, but and, not his spirit. But what was the point in allowing himself to be uh, captured, actually? He wasn't even captured. He just gave himself up. And he made it worse. He, he provoked the Romans. He could have gotten off, could have walked away. A little payoff would have gone a long way, if you know what I mean. A long way. But he provoked him. What was that about? To make a point. Of? That we could all do that for ourselves. Provoke the Romans? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, Why? Wake us, to wake us up and, you know, to, to well, to Are wake you, us up. Let, and, let me be real candid about this. Are you going to die for your enlightenment? Some people do. Some people it's do. It's a choice. Would you? I don't have to. Good. Good. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to continue the question, but I want a few more answers. Thank you. I know it's a very tough question. I'm asking you, the world, anybody listening in who wants to, isn't this failure at some level? To end up on the cross? Uh, to, to be put a spear in your, in your belly? To, uh, to have all this suffering? Wasn't that failure? I ask at a very deep level within each and one of each and every one of you because Yeshua is a composite. That's part of you. And if he was put to death, in a way you were put to death. And if he didn't stay as a master in the physical, maybe you aren't going to stay as a master in the physical. If he martyred himself. Maybe this is what your mastery looks like? Martyring of self? Linda, microphone to somebody else. Same question. Oh, somebody raise your hand. Make it easy. Was Yeshua a failure? And we have to address this, my friends, because it's thick, it's in the air. It's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. It's it's this whole fabricated story of Jesus, but there is the story of Yeshua, the composite being who, in a way, was in search of your mastery, because it's part of you, but was put to death. Next, the answer. I think maybe that he, Would you mind standing oh, up? Yeah, he provoked you. them. Yes. So he could kind of prove to us that there's life on the other side, that we actually, maybe the body does die, yes. but you continue on. That's my feeling. Yeah. So. so what happened to him after he died? He had a little lovemaking with uh, Mary Magdalene after he died, but you don't hear too much about him after that, what, what he did after that. That's true. I think the disciples, well, they got scared for a while and hid, yeah. but I think they a still made A few of them got beheaded, out. but let's not pay any attention <laughs> to that fact. <clears throat> Yeah. So, so have we all. So. Yeah. But yeah. that's what I so feel. I'm wearing this protective <laughs> metal scarf today. <laughs> yeah. So and they finally, some of them finally got their strength back because they would speak with Yeshua. Yeah. Still, he would visit them in the spirit. Yeah. And I think that's how it kind of continued on. Kinda. Kinda. Kinda is uh, like the story we have going on today. Is that is that a good thing or not such a good thing? I the think story it of brought Jesus. 
Well, it brought the Christ seed consciousness to earth, yes. and some people took it and ran different ways, but we're all at different levels, maybe? I would argue, just to be okay. um, argumentative, That's okay. if it brought the Christ seed to earth, amazing thing. Oh, it's been planned for a long time. We're all going to come back and sprinkle the earth with our Christ seed. We're going to create this composite that is us uh, all put together because... Uh, it creates such an amazing bond with us. And we come down here 2,000 years ago. We're born into a physical body all around. And then the Christ seed dies. To me, I don't feel it died at all. I just feel it's a different way to express himself. The template of the Christ seed, the, the the character, Yeshua, he dies at the end of the story. Correct. I, and I haven't read Bible part two, like the story doesn't keep going on. Just ends. It ends. Okay. So I, don't, I guess I don't understand the question you're asking me. The question I'm asking all of you is, I, I'm going to title it uh, very boldly, uh, the Yeshua failure, question mark. The Yeshua failure. Because every, thank you. Okay. <laughs> uh, and you know, it's a uh, the, tough one. There is that within all of you, the Yeshua failure. Uh, it's, it's, yes, it's a beautiful story that we talk about coming to earth and uh, being a master, and even, even the, 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 what I would call the more real uh, iteration of Yeshua rather than Jesus, the, the carpenter, really. Uh, and by the way, Yeshua. Uh, they didn't, he didn't grow up in this poor family and this whole story of the, the nativity and no room at the inn. Uh, none of that. It makes a great story. But he grew up in the, uh, the Essene community. They weren't rich. They weren't poor. They really didn't care that much about money. They liked to eat. Uh, they said, pretended they didn't like to have sex, but they really did. <laughs> and they were very, very strict. Very strict. But it wasn't this... Uh, life as a, as a poor uh, carpenter. No, not at all. So I bring this up, uh, kind of a, one of those hurdles we need to cross over. There's a certain feeling of failure. It's sitting somewhere in you. tends to overshadow the beautiful knowingness that we talked about in our last gathering. But if a master was going to come back now, a master like Yeshua, would it be advisable for that master to, to get killed? Either they're making the news, but does that really serve the purpose? Can anybody help? Can anybody understand what was the purpose? Yeshua, your, your 33-year-old creation, what was the whole thing about dying on the cross? And Linda, pass it to any hand that goes up. <laughs> Or any hand that stays down, David. Um, yes. uh, martyrdom. It got the word out. Martyrdom. Not 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 a lot, but eventually later on. Eventually later on. Wasn't a lot of news about it back then. The Essenes back back in the community back in the Yahad was like, well, he was asking for it. Look, he's fornicating when he's young. He's you know gives up his family and the community goes wandering. God knows where. No wonder he got killed. Kinda, kind of. There wasn't a lot of tears. They had a small group of uh, follow followers, friends, I, and there was mourning there. But it took centuries, 
really for this to get going. Yeah. And is it such a good story? Interesting story, but is it so, such a good one? He dies on the cross. Yeah. No. So can anybody, anybody understand what, why, why that kind of ending back then? Again, this is your composite. What purpose did it serve? Well, <clears throat> I think that he wanted to hand the torch to us, that if he stayed alive, we would keep following his word rather than our own. And I think that's probably what he learned on his journeys was that this was his story and yes. his truth. And he wasn't afraid of the Romans because he was living his truth. Yes. And if that caused him to die, he wasn't afraid of that. And so we got to all see that and also understand that it was our story from then on. Yes. Though it got lost, of course. Best explanation I've heard in a long time. Yes. And please, an Adamus Award for that. Thank you. And not that. The story, not that it was the best ending in the story, but Yeshua got to the point where he was feeling that the disciples, the friends, others were becoming um, obsessed with him. You were becoming obsessed with yet another false idol, now in the name of Yeshua. Felt that so many were hanging on every word, and, and yes, the, uh, and initially there weren't many gatherings, and then they got to be more and more felt that, once again, you were deferring to something else. And he warned his disciples at the time. He said, if you keep this up, I'm leaving. Uh, they thought he meant like going back to India or something. <laughs> he said, if you keep it up, I, I, I'm, I'm checking out, because I am here to tell you the God is within you. Don't look to the God within me, but the God is within you. And he felt that ultimately it would be best to go. He had told Mary Magdalene right from the start it wouldn't be a long-term relationship. They weren't going to be grandparents in rocking chairs looking at uh, old uh, stone carvings of their younger days, that he <laughs> was going to be leaving quite soon. And, <laughs> and, and in doing so, he actually never, attend, uh, never really wanted to dramatize it. He didn't want to be a martyr. Uh, but he did want to prove a few points, and one of them was to show his followers at the time that life does go on. More important than even his ascension, uh, because you see, some of the disciples at the time thought they were just hallucinating, uh, you know, having uh, visions or whatever, drank some bad wine, and suddenly Jesus appears. Uh, <laughs> some of you have had that. Uh, but he felt. The true manifestation that I live was impregnating Mary Magdalene af after he left. Uh, that that would be the proof that life does continue, that you can ascend with your body, that, that it's not just an apparition, a vision you know, of the disciples uh, on the road suddenly seeing Yeshua, but I will make this child with Mary, and then you will see that life goes on. Then you will see that you can take your body with you. That story wasn't written about so much, hmm. or at all. 
That would have been a far better story than just, you know, getting up from the, and walking around and meeting a, a few disciples. That, that's the real story of life. Maybe the real Christmas story that should be told. So let's take a good deep breath with the Jesus story, the Jesus game. Yes, question. Uh, microphone, please. How was it proven that Mary was impregnated by Joshua? I, how did how? Just I'm ask sure her. She, but, well, but how? I'm sure she was asked about who, how she became pregnant. Yes. How did? I mean, didn't everybody oh, doubt her? Uh, think of it. Think of it in well, your terms today. So here, Yeshua had been gone for about four months, and suddenly, she says, um, "I am, I'm pregnant." Missed my uh, monthly period, and uh, you can imagine the the others, particularly well, the other women, like, yeah, sure, really. He just leaves. He just was executed. He went through all that, and suddenly you're out bopping somebody else. Uh, that's exactly what they thought. They didn't say it quite like that. Uh, they talked a little different back then. <laughs> Bop, you know, doing it, having relationship with somebody else. And sure, it caused a lot of um, questions, a lot of gossip in, in the uh, community about, about it. But those who truly knew Mary Magdalene, the new Mary Magdalene, not the old Mary Magdalene, uh, the reformed Mary Magdalene, as we used to call her, understood she would never lie about that. And then when the baby babies came out, uh, Anyone who had eyes to see could see it looked like Yeshua. It had that kind of Yeshua glow about it, you know. The children. Children didn't live very long. They died uh, after Mary got to France. Uh, they had a very difficult time because they were the offspring of two very amazing beings, uh, including one that wasn't in physical body. He was light sperm, so it was a little bit different than regular. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so, so they had a very difficult time handling the energies. They didn't. They didn't last long, and it wasn't. It was said that it was a flu or some disease going around at the time that did them in. But it was just they could not handle it. Similar to a lot of the crystal children coming in right now, they come in so clear and so unfamiliar with the, the ways of the earth that they come in and they end up uh, with things like ADD and uh, some of the um, other uh, sensitivities, allergy sensitivities, uh, uh, autism and things like that. They're having a very difficult time adjusting to this energy. And guess what? So are you. <laughs> you who have – many of you have been here a thousand or more lifetimes and have been very familiar with the ways of this earth – you're having a difficult time with it. There's so much energy coming in right now, and it's, it's affecting you. Uh, as we heard a couple of people talk about recently, yes, last year, the last week, Crazy energies. Wait till next year. <laughs> ah, but you are in the perfect position, and this is exactly 
why I went through the whole Jesus game today and brought it to this rather dreary end of dying on the cross. Maybe it wasn't the best thing, but it seemed to be appropriate at the time. It was a different time than it is now, but you've carried that with you ever since. You have this question that bounces around within you, uh, and it's, uh, it's on every level. It's on your very practical human level. It's on an esoteric, spiritual, and master level. question you ask yourself – and Linda, if you would write this down, please – and you're going to be maybe a little confused at first, and you're going to walk away saying, I don't understand what he talked about today. Uh, this, this thing with the Jesus game, and I guess that was kind of interesting. And then he said, I walk around with this question, but I'm not sure I do. And then a couple days from now, you're going to remember that you do. How does it end? That's my question today. That's why we played the Jesus game. How does it end? Big question. And it's going to be a big question into, uh, into going into next year. How does it end? Uh, it's a question every one of you have had on a very practical level. How does it end? Am I? 65? 85? Do I ever get to that enlightenment? Do I get to the enlightenment and do I uh, leave the planet? Do I get to the enlightenment and uh, suddenly um, uh, some groups come – I don't know how to mention any – some religious groups coming chasing after me, kill me? Uh, am I going to be a martyr? Am I going to be so different than anybody else that I have to take myself off this planet because they're coming to follow me and worship me and do all those gross things <laughs> and, and not leave me the <clears throat> alone to just be a master? Question and, – and really the theme of this shout is, how does it end? I'm not going to give you the answer. That's actually for you to bounce around in your belly, your heart and your mind between now and our next gathering. Uh, and we're going to open our next gathering after my few uh, my monologue. Uh, we're going to open it by coming back to that. How does it end? What, what, the, what does that mean to you? What have you been um, projecting, thinking, uh, assuming about that? I, I will give you a little bit of a, a clue. How does it end? What's been, what you've been contemplating? How do you die? How does it end? Is going to be nothing like you've ever thought. Nothing. So we'll get into that in our next shout. Doing a little pre-selling of our next shout, you know, <laughs> competing with the other other ascended masters. I got to say, got to get big numbers here. Um, how does it end? What what have you been thinking about or fearing about? How does it end? That's why we went through the Jesus game today. It was all lead up to saying, look what happened to him. And how does it, how's it going to end for you? What happens when you cross over, whenever that happens to be? What next? Ah, be a great shout. So in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about um, – let's do one thing very quickly. I mentioned that Yeshua went back to uh, Palestine in politically incorrect Israel, uh, Israel. Went back to Israel. 
after his many, many years away. You ever notice there was a huge gap in the Bible between the time he was about 14 and 33? Why haven't more people said, what happened? He wasn't making chairs and tables, uh, or even uh, uh, cross, big crosses. I, we can joke about it now, because we know he had sex. So what, did it, what were these lost years? How come there's no account for it? It was just kind of glossed over. Well, yeah. Now, you know, he's turning over tables in the temple when he's 12, and then you don't hear from him until he's 30. That's a pretty long gap there. Yeah. Yes, question or comment? It's a comment. Yes. And the comment is because it didn't fit the plan for right. the fossilization. Exactly. Exactly. It didn't fit the plan. Why are humans so asleep not, – not you, but humans in general – so asleep that somebody hasn't just had a, an absolute fit about this, saying, I'm not going to go to communion until I know what he did from 14 to 30. I'm just not going to go to confession either. Never tell me or else. That, well, they don't know. That's, that's absolutely right. But they don't even make up a carpenter's story or something like that. They, you know, they don't even make up a story that he went and worked for some charity for a while or <laughs> anything, anything. They just <sighs> but let's, let's not discuss it. It's just a little odd. And these type of things cannot and will not continue in the future. They can't. They can't. I'm amazed that otherwise good humans have just said, oh, okay, well, no, no written record. These type of things – the awareness is getting too high right now. These type of things can't go forward. People are going to ask the questions now. They'll be bold. They'll come forth and say, no, 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 that doesn't make sense, the, the whole virgin birth thing. But have I got a story, though? Fornicating from the other side. Now that is a good answer. That's yeah, that's a story. <laughs> I'll raise some eyebrows. Make a good Hollywood movie. <laughs> it's heaven within you. So <laughs> kind of a double meaning there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> So here's what I'd like to do. Let's do. Uh, I'm going to do this out of order. Let's start with this. 2014. We're going to talk about it in our upcoming gathering uh, next month. The energy, as I said in our last gathering, the year of tough love. It's also going to be the year of discovering gifts within yourself. And the tough love, gifts within self. There are some things within you already there. You created them. You made them. They're part of the Christ seed energy, and they're just—they're like crystals. Well, crystals within you just haven't been brought forward for a lot of reasons. We don't need to get into, but gifts and talents that are yours—nobody's giving them to you—are going to amaze you. Things that didn't know you had. Understandings. Uh, 
talents, uh, creativity that are going to be, let's call it, pushed forward. <laughs> They're going to come out. Uh, times will be tough, and this will uh, cause these beautiful things within you to finally come out. So a little nudging is going to bring them out. The, let me, I'm hopping around here, but on purpose. Let me say one thing about creativity, because this ties into things you're going to discover, gifts that you've always had that are just going to uh, uh, amaze you, and then it'll amaze you that you didn't bring them out sooner. But understandings and capabilities and talents that are sitting in dormancy right now, for whatever reason, that are going to come out. Let me say one thing about creativity. Creativity is about trial and error. It's not about getting it right the first time. It's about creativity is trial and error. Divinity is kind of also, but they're tied in together. There is a human desire to get it right all the time, every time, or don't do it any time. In other words, guaranteed success that it's going to work. The truly brilliant creative ones are the ones who are willing to make mistakes. Tesla, a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, many of your other famous inventors and scientists and, and uh, the progressives made a lot of mistakes. We sit around in the Ascended Masters Club and we joke about it. We say, a really successful human is one who gets it right about 18% of the time. And how much percentage does that leave to not get it right? Add quickly. <laughs> a lot. Just a plain lot. Not saying you're tr locked into that. You might get it right 50% of the time. Maybe 70. I doubt it. And it's not important. Creativity is a matter of trial and error. A creator doesn't try to get it right. Only the human, only a mental being tries to get it right. A creator is simply creating. It doesn't matter. You could say in a way there's no judgment, but there's actually no um, big uh, tie into the outcome. I create, oh, that worked great. I create, wow, that didn't uh, manifest the way I, I quite had hoped. The funny thing is, the enlightened creator understands that it did manifest somewhere, maybe off in another dimension, perfectly. It just didn't come in here quite right. Why? Because the energies are challenging, difficult, thick, nasty, wicked, uh, associated with other people and everything else. And sometimes they just don't poof in here right. It doesn't mean you got it wrong. It just means maybe you were ahead of your time. Maybe um, you like creating in these other realms. Maybe it just wasn't quite the right ingredient, so the real Creator creates again, out of joy for the experience, without worrying about was it right or wrong. So creatorship is a matter of trial and error. A true Creator takes joy in both, but is ecstatic when they actually get it right. 
what they feel, what they say is right. It manifests here in this reality kind of like they wanted it to. 18% of the time, pretty good. Maybe you could do better. Going forward into next year, and this will all tie together. It doesn't make sense right now at all, but one of these days you're going to go, oh, now I understand. Going forward into next year uh, is, is both the year of tough love, the year of discovery of latent talents and gifts within yourself that will uh, put it in writing and guarantee your money back on this shout, uh, that it will blow you away. It will literally blow you away next year, what has been latent in there. Uh, the other thing about next year, and it's an old topic, but we have to cover it again and probably again after this, is trust. You're not going to – next year in particular and, – and this is not about worry, but, but it is about uh, awareness. <laughs> next year, you're going to have one thing to fall back on, and it's you. And it's you. That requires trust. If you're out of trust with yourself and that's the only thing you have to fall back on, oh, it's going to be a long, long way down. But if you have yourself to trust – now, trust is a tricky thing. A lot of you say, oh, yeah, I trust myself. Not really. No, you say that, but you really don't. You don't believe me? Take a look at your actions and reactions. Trust is kind of um, a surrender in a, in a way, but trust is – trust <laughs> for some of the Masters um, has been, I don't have anything else. There's nothing left. It's all I have. I can't even effort into it. I can't make myself believe in – but that's all I have because everything else is gone. And that's when you discover real trust, by the way. Yeah. Next year it's going to be trusting yourself. I could tell you this, and you're not going to necessarily believe it, but just, just do it. Just trust yourself. Even when you think it's wrong, it's still right. It really is. Even when you think, oh, I turned the wrong way, I did the wrong thing. Look at Yeshua, for an example. Had romance one night under the stars, got a little carried away, couldn't keep it in the robe, and suddenly <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, it blew his whole career of being a teacher at the Yihad. It, 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 it messed it up. Oh, did he feel bad? Oh, jeez, oh, I hate that thing down there. Look, it got me in so much trouble. It was actually divine because it got him out of that commune, got him out of that community. Oh, my God, that it was so boring there. And then when, when his first wife died, his, his only wife died, and it was all the, the feelings of guilt. I should have been able to heal her. I should have had known the right herbal chant to do or whatever. And, and, and God you know, didn't listen to me, so I must be a sinner. How hard that was on him. But yet it was divine. That got him out of the community. That got him off learning. That, that was you. That was the Christ seed at work. And you think it was easy for Yeshua to trust himself and say, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the way I planned it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Threw me out of the place, and my, my wife dies, and my life is ruined. But oh, sure, that's me. I'm a creator. But actually he was. Actually he was. 
There was enough built-in um, uh, remedies in case he got stuck in this really boring community. Enough built-in remedies, even the angst that he went through that caused him to start his search. What else would have done it at the time? Sometimes, am I talking too much? No. No. Good, because I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> that even as t- difficult as it was with the death of his wife, that was not an accident, so to speak. And if he had trusted himself, he'd have understood the wisdom. If he had trusted himself, she would have never died. Actually. So a lot of things that happen don't have to happen. Jesus did not have to die on the cross if enough people had trusted themselves. It wouldn't have had to happen that way. A lot of things in your life won't have to happen if you trust yourself, if you absolutely, emphatically, I got nothing else in my life, trust yourself. It will change the experience. Uh, the outcome, the end result, still going to be the same. Enlightenment. Uh, I would say most of you have made a commitment to it. You've got a pretty good shot at it in this lifetime. Pretty good chance. At least a 3% chance in this lifetime. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> you have a 100% chance. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, there's that potential. Most of you seriously have an excellent, excellent, excellent potential for realization. I don't even want to call it enlightenment, realization in this lifetime, if you trust yourself. I can hardly teach trust. I I, I just can hardly do it. I can say the words. uh, We can have some trust mirabs and all the rest of that. But if you don't trust yourself, you don't trust yourself. What tends to happen when you don't trust yourself, when you're on this path, uh, when you're coming into your enlightenment, you don't trust yourself, everything will be ripped away. Now, all you have left is you. It's not such a bad thing. Right. But it doesn't have to happen that way. It doesn't have to happen. You can actually just trust yourself. And not, not your past life self, not this golden angel. Uh, I'm talking about trusting you that's sitting here right now with that great smile on your face. Trusting that, trusting this, that you have this amazing, beautiful being. Looking younger all the time, too, I must say. I don't know what you're doing, but bring me along. Uh, that, that amazing trusting yourself. So it doesn't have to go into uh, uh, the, the rip-down experience. It doesn't have to go into this whole scenario. Some of you feel like you're this um, uh, Kind of an asteroid heading to some type of strange conclusion. That's why I say, how does it end? How does it end? And you're like, oh, I'm out of control. I feel myself jettisoning towards this wall, and suddenly, boom, it doesn't have to happen that way. Trust yourself, whew, changes all those dynamics. I can't teach trust. I can only ask you to feel inside. Now, you feel inside. Say, okay, I'm going to trust myself. Two things happen. First of all, you say, well, I screwed up in the past. No, I just told you. Creator, creatorship's about trial and error. You didn't screw up. An experience. Secondly, the other alarm goes off, bigger alarm. Yeah, I can trust myself, but what about them? I can't trust others. 
because they're going to screw me over. The minute I let my defenses down, they're going to come in. They're going to take my house, my money, my, my everything that I have. Manipulate me, take advantage of me. No. When you can write this down also. When you trust yourself, suddenly you trust everyone else. Suddenly you trust everyone else. Actually, truth be known, is when you trust yourself, the word trust goes out of the dictionary. It doesn't even apply anymore in, in, in mastery, enlightenment. Somebody comes to talk to you about trust. You don't even relate to that word. It's so old and foreign. Trust. Oh, what an old word. You don't even have to think about trusting others. It's, just, it's implicit. It's already there. It, it, and I know I can hear some of you, particularly online, screaming, but I tried this before, and the minute I let my guard down, they took advantage of me. Well, A, you didn't let your guard down. B, they can't take advantage of you, unless you're kind of in that victim energy. They can't. When you trust yourself, you will never be in the situation where you have to worry about trusting others or not trusting them. You're never in that situation. It just doesn't even come up. So you don't have to be worrying about uh, somebody taking something away from you. You're just never in that circumstance. And you'll hear stories of other people who are. You'll hear stories about people who are uh, being abused, taken advantage by others, and you're just like, wow. Doesn't even happen to me. I wonder why? Because you trust yourself. Because you trust yourself. So time is running out. I understand there's a party. I understand a little dancing, a little costume, <coughs> a little, <laughs> little wine, and I understand there's even some Saint Germain liqueur. Ah, yeah. But before we do that, so let's end this session. Let's end this session with a little. Experience. What so means music up, uh, light twinkly mirabi kind of music, and lights down. Ah, yes, we've had a good session today. The Jesus game, the Jesus story. We've talked about how does it end. It's kind of the homework for our next session. One could argue that it didn't end so well for Yeshua. Not such a great example. But as was pointed out, it was a long time ago. Consciousness was different. Things ended different back then. The Christ Seed consciousness was still brought to this planet, and it was brought with a knowingness that the planet wasn't quite ready. There was no mistake, uncertainty, that it would take 2,000 years. It was known back then. It was about bringing in, planting this Christ seed so that you and another incarnation with a new name could come back and collect the very thing that you brought in. You didn't really bring it here for the rest of the world. You knew that they someday would benefit from it, you brought it in for you. You could say that this time is like a highway. Time has gone 2,000 years of kilometers or miles. You knew back then that 
you were going to be here in 2,000 years at this point on this cosmic journey. You put that Christ seed in there 2,000 years ago so that it would be here for you right now. You knew you'd be coming to this point, that you would need this, want it, and here it is. Probably would have been really upsetting to energetic balances to have it sprout 2,000 years ago. Even your composite Yeshua knew that. And there were those who were pushing him, pressuring him to say, No, make it blossom right now. Bring it out right now. We see it in you. We want it now. Almost like a little bit of a greed. And Yeshua said, No, it's not quite ready. I said, Yes, but Master, Master, when will we be ready? Will it be a year from now, ten years from now? Will, will you teach us how to get ready? And Yeshua said, I can't. He said, I, I can tell you're not ready because you still don't trust yourself. You've still put me on a pedestal. You still want me to save you, perform miracles for you, teach you. No, you're not quite ready. So it ended for Yeshua in a way. Another way it's lived on. The story split, you know, of course. The story of Jesus from the Bible, and there's a story of Yeshua. The story of Yeshua has lived on also. That energy, that Christ seed, that blessing has lived on to right now. But that part of you that is Yeshua comes back once again. You saying, "Have yeah, we ready for that Christ seed to blossom, to to grow?" That same composite of Yeshua says to you, "Are you ready to trust?" Two thousand years later, he says, I "Come back to you. Are you ready to trust yourself deeply?" Unequivocally, unconditionally, no ifs, ands, or buts, or I don't knows. Comes back to say, Are you ready to be in that state of your own divine trust, no matter what? Even if you think that you're making mistakes, going beyond that and being in a place of trust. Even if it scares you, terrorizes you at the deepest level, brings up all your fears, fears of disease, fears of poverty, fears of being alone, fears of, well, the ending. Are 
you ready to be in that state of trust. And I don't want to sugarcoat it. I'm saying, oh, trust yourself. So joyful and fun and happy and sunshine and rainbows. No. Demons and dragons as well. It's fear that could come up within you that is just will freeze you. <coughs> freeze your brain, freeze your body. Freeze like as in cold. To trust yourself that deeply and that implicitly. And it makes your belly spin. Overwhelms your mind. Too many thoughts, too many questions. That's, that's the tool for next year. Trust. Oh, we've talked about it so many times. But it's back. Some of you, that's all you have left, in a way. Sure, you've got some clothes and a bottle of cheap wine in the refrigerator, but that's really all you have left. Bank account is run down. Car probably won't make it for another year. <laughs> but you got this trust. Let's let's not play the Jesus game on this one. Let's not have it end like it did for him. Because with that trust, everything changes. Funny thing is, you don't even have to think about it. You don't have to plan anything after that. You don't have to work at things. It's coming to that level of trust. You don't have to worry about other people, the IRS, anything else like that, the aliens and the conspiracies. When you're at that deep, simple, basic level of trust, other stuff just doesn't touch you, doesn't affect you. So this is going to be something that comes up again for you this well, next, at least next 30 days or so before our next shout. Question, how does it end? And the question, can I allow myself that level of trust? And, and before you answer the question, if you say yes, you get the experience that will, how to say, confirm within yourself. So the trust isn't just a mental concept, that it's right in there with your knowingness. And you'll be able to fly through anything, anything. Let's take a good deep breath, my dear friends. Rejoicing in this holiday season, 
and the fellowship that we have here and the laughter from today, being able to talk about Yeshua and Jesus, being somewhat irreverent, no, really irreverent. Can't wait to see the YouTube clips on this one. <laughs> but coming down to the point of, well, what really matters? What really, really matters? Let's take a good deep breath and always that knowingness that no matter what, no matter how difficult, no matter how amazing, that, well, all is well in all of creation. And so it is. I am Adamus in joyful service to you. Thank you. Thank you. So I invite you to take a moment and just allow yourself to be with and integrate with will you give yourself the awareness and the permission to feel and truly trust yourself. That question was posed for each of us. And the homework, the question, how does it end for each of us? Thank you for being here with the Crimson Circle, with Jeffrey Hoppe channeling Adamus Saint-Germain. Thank you for being here on the Crimson Circle, Blog Talk Radio, and AwakeningZone.com. We'll be here again on January 4th, same time, same place. Thank you, and very, very happy holidays to each and every one of you. Thank you.